Welcome, everyone. And uh, before we start today's podcast, we'd like to introduce our special, very special guest, Tony Okomi. He goes by the writer, um, pen name uh, Words by Tones, and he tackles hard social issues through his poems and writings. How are you doing, Tony? How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good, you know. Yeah, just, just trying to get through this as everyone else is, you know, just yeah. taking it day by day. Yeah, I'm good. How are you guys? Not bad. Yeah, we're, we're okay, I guess we can say. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, as good as it can be after uh, you know last week's news, and uh, yeah. to be honest, that's what we want to address uh, during this podcast special to give yeah. the viewers an overview. This week, we witnessed some tragic events. So, on uh, American Memorial Day on the 25th, Minneapolis police responded to a forgery in progress. Floyd attempted. This is uh, George Floyd attempted to use uh, a 20 pound note that staff remembered identified as counterfeit. So this is what the police reported. And uh, according to the police, Floyd was in a nearby car, reported to be under the influence. I'll have your thoughts on that later on. The police department said that the officers ordered him to exit the vehicle where he physically resisted. Now, the officers were able to get the suspect into handcuffs and noted that he appeared to be suffering from medical distress. So this was uh, noted by the police officers. At the end, unfortunately, George Floyd died. There were some reports early on suggesting that he died of health issues. However, video evidence quickly emerged showing that he was pinned chest down by Officer Chauvin and kneeling on his neck. Floyd does tell Chauvin repeatedly, please, I can't breathe, whilst moaning, groaning, groaning sobbing. It's quite hard to watch. Bystanders were also telling the police, you know, you've got him, let him breathe. Eventually, he, the video shows Lloyd uh, going silent and motionless. And Chavin did not lift his uh, knee from Floyd's neck until the ambulance arrived and he was on a stretcher. Luckily, a second bystander video was also taken from inside the vehicle, which showed Floyd being removed from his vehicle without any resistance, debunking the initial police reports. So yeah, given this story and uh, the police report and eventual video evidence, the initial question that comes into my head is, do you think that the events that just happened were racially motivated? What do you think, Tony? You know what, with this topic, yes, like with this whole event, I just feel like in America, even if it's not directly racially motivated, it is Mm -hmm. regardless, because like at the end of the day, like we all know, we've all studied history, we all know that the foundations of America is built on slavery, yep. it's built on oppressing black, Native Americans, whoever, in between Latino and Latino people. So it's like every time there's an interaction with a black man, especially, or black people, black women, child, whoever, but a black man, especially in the police, there is already like a thing where the police always are always going to approach that with some type of we have to force something like it's not like if a policeman interacts with a white man or white woman or you know where they can kind of they reason with each other like you've seen videos of it even going around on the timeline on twitter Mm -hmm. but with a black man and unfortunately i have to bring this up just like even when they see a black man who is physically larger than them or maybe larger than them or may look intimidating to them you know there's going to be a different type of energy towards them and even watching the video it's like I didn't I'm gonna be honest I didn't even really watch the video in full because to be honest with you it's just like 
over the past few years, even from like the Mike Brown situation in 2014, mm-hmm. um, Philando Castile, some other ones. Like I saw the Mike Brown one, and after that, I was like, you know what? Disgusting. To see a to see a boy, a boy, literally eighteen year old boy, laying on the floor like that. No, there was no covering of his body, nothing. Mm-hmm. So when I saw that, the first few seconds of that clip, I was like, you know what? I don't really need to see anymore. I read like the description, like you did, of what happened, and yeah, yeah I just yeah, it is to me, it's just sort of racially motivated. Like there, there is an aspect of race in oh, there for sure. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. I mean, if we look at the, like you said, it's uh, with with especially American history. uh, Whenever these events happen, let's say even if it wasn't the most obviously racially motivated thing, there's a pre context due to the history, especially in the South. Yeah, go on, Aaron. You you want to say something? Yeah, I was going to say that while I think it's 100% racially motivated, I don't even understand the kind of discussions around whether it's being is racially motivated when yeah. it so clearly is. Um, I think the kind of shocking thing about the video itself, which I also didn't watch in its entirety, I just saw the beginning and the ending because it's, it's, it's hard, roughly yeah. around eight to nine yeah. minutes of just, uh, you know, George Floyd begging for his life, in essence, is what you see. Um I think the kind of chilling part of it was the calmness of the police officer, Derek mm-hmm. Chauvin, when he had his knee in his back. He had one hand in his pocket and he didn't seem like he had the worry in the world, which, you know, when you consider all of the previous uh, instances that have happened that were quite similar to this, as uh, Tony said, with uh, Mike Brown and Philando Castile and, uh, you know, many, many high profile cases like that, you kind of look at how it's racially motivated and there's a sense of i'll get away with this kind of mm-hmm. yeah exactly the that's what it was. That's doing it that's what's really chilling about it because he didn't seem to have a care in the world he really didn't care so he had a hand in his pocket he just had this smug look on his face as if this will blow over sort of thing which was kind of i think also like in this political climate with donald trump and you know the rise of the right wing i feel like maybe in the they're becoming more brazen about it it's becoming mm-hmm. yeah you know like more in your face yeah, so maybe I should give some context of what happened after that. So they were the events and what actions occurred because of this. The man being held responsible for the murder is uh, Derek M. Chauvin. He was uh, the one that was on his neck. And fellow officer J. Alexander Kong and Thomas Lane and Tao Tao, I believe that's how you pronounce their names, were also with him at the, at the point. Uh, they were supporting officers. The restraint technique was used by Chauvin, which is uh, repeatedly put into the, the limelight in the news. And it was not part of the department's training, apparently. Derek that in was the, confirmed by that John was confirmed. Elder, police spokesperson. Yeah, so this is obviously something more than just, you know, status quo. Derek has previously also been involved in shootings uh, of ethnic minorities and uh, leading one actually leading to a death. And despite all of this, he's, he was allowed to continue and actually was even received a commendation for bravery for one of his actions. Uh, yeah, so there are 12 police brutality complaints against him as well. Uh, you know, it just goes on and on and on. Yeah, it's, just... it's, it's insane. And uh, for me, it's, it, how, like who is responsible for the death? I mean, yes, we, we, can, we can blame it on Derek. Um, but is it, is there a bigger issue? Who should claim um, responsibility? To, what do you think, Tony? You know what? It's 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 a tough one to even like say it's directly 
this or that. I just think that America in general is just responsible for this. And like, because if you look at, let's say America's like a pyramid or something, and then you have like one section is the, the police force, military, whatever. Like mm-hmm. the police force in particular, there's been so many instances before social media, obviously, you know, the era when, you know, there was a whole super predator thing towards black men and black boys in, you know, in the 90s, like, it, like this behavior is allowed, basically. Like, any, anything that happened, and even another thing that links to it as well, is that whenever these things happen, the first thing is that people ask is, what did he do? Like, mm-hmm. what did the person who's dead do? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because there's a perception of, like, you know, especially of those who are outside of the ethnic minority community, there's a perception that, you know, if, it, if it's a policeman involved and a black man especially, mm. the black man must have done something wrong or they must have, you know, went over the line. Yeah. You know, it's like, I didn't want to jump into the Mark Duggan or, like, bringing up other um, situations, but you bring up the Mark Duggan one also, it's like, with that one, you know, the media are kind of released first. Yeah, I remember the day when it happened. They released firstly, oh, there's been a crossfire between a man and and police and a man mm-hmm. is dead. But in the end, he didn't even shoot at the police. Yeah. Or even questioning now whether he even had a gun on him. Like, or as in, if he was reaching for a gun or whatever, there's a lot of speculation. But it's like, immediately, there's this thing where, you know, the guy who's dead must be wrong, the black man must be wrong, or whoever it is must be wrong. Yep. So I just think it's, I think it's just, I think this, the culture is to blame, the American culture, police culture, mm-hmm. that's to blame. You know, obviously the individual did it, but if you're looking at the wider scheme, like that has led to this and many other cases like that. Uh, yeah, so I just wanted to give a bit more context on uh, Derek Chauvin and who he is and his kind of past. So as uh, Steve kind of pointed out, he's been involved in ethnic minority shootings before. So there's three that I can actually, you know, conclusively say that he was definitely involved in once you do a bit of fact checking. Uh, One of them, the one who died, was Wayne Reyes. Now, there's conflicting reports because witness statements said that Wayne Reyes had put his gun, uh, his hand up and his gun down uh, when he was shot. Now, for shooting him, he got given a commendation for bravery. They said that his actions were justified. Uh, because he claimed that Wayne Reyes went to shoot him and he just shot back. Hmm. Uh, the other person who knew he shot was a 21-year-old black man. He was unarmed. Uh, his name is Ira Littrell Tolls. And again, uh, Derek Chauvin kind of said that he resisted the rest. But when you look back at the video with uh, George Floyd, Derek Chauvin also said that George Floyd resisted the rest, but he didn't. Yeah. It's very clear in the video. So now you have to go back to all of these cases that he was involved in, in my opinion and reopen them and actually look at what really happened because this man clearly is not a reliable source of information. Now, going forward, as you said, there is a culture of kind of protecting members of the police force. And that is, I think that is a justified statement as well because there's actually 12 police brutality complaints against Chauvin in the Minneapolis Office of Police Conduct Complaint Database. They are listed as closed, non-public and no discipline. So he's had 12 complaints and not a single one has led to a disciplinary action. Now, since this has happened, uh, initially, they didn't even charge him with murder or didn't arrest him or whatnot. Um, but one, once they did decide to charge him, he was, he, he began, he was represented, he's represented currently by the lawyer Tom Kelly. 
Tom Kelly is the same lawyer who got Yeremino Yanez, the police officer who shot Philando Castile, acquitted in 2016. Hmm. So there's a, there is a lawyer already in place who has previously been involved in a case similar to this one, who has managed to get the defendant off despite murdering someone in cold blood on video with loads of information, like loads of footage and uh, all the information out there to get him uh, behind bars. He's managed to acquit this man. And so you look at it and you think the infrastructure is there for him to be able to do as he pleases. And he, obviously the confidence that I mentioned that at first, it comes from a place of, uh, you know, I've done this. I've done 12 other things in the past which have led to complaints against me. I've gotten away 12 times. And now that they actually are charging me, I have a lawyer who's able to get another member of the police force uh, acquitted from what seemed to be when you first watched the video, something that he would no way be acquitted for. Mm -hmm. So I, I think all of these factors come into play. As you said, there's a culture there set up um, to kind of help police officers get away with basically breaking the law. Can I say, like, it's, it's quite shocking because in any other line of work, I mean, even in the military, if you step out of line, you're, you're immediately court-martialed you know, you're, you're sent to military jail. It seems like it's only the American police force that has this comfortability, knowing that they can do like egregious things, not just police brutality, but race, racist police brutality with the confidence of knowing they're going to get past. And I think it's like what Tony said, uh, a lot of it is like pre-assumed, you know, well, you, you see like long investigations, documentaries on, for example, uh, white serial killers, which happen uh, quite often in the U.S., you know, oh, did he do it? Was he wrong? Who's to blame? Blah, blah, blah. But as soon as it's a, a black man getting shot by police, it, immediately it's, you know, already labelled from day one without a, a proper investigation. Mm. What do you think, Tony, on Erin's facts? Yeah, I think it's just like, I, I kind of also feel like in the actual police force, I genuinely think that, obviously I'm not in the force and I can't see what's, what goes on inside, but mm. I feel like there actually is a culture of, you might actually even get stripes for doing certain, thing, certain things, mm. as in like, not even on a conspiracy like thing, but just like, I feel like if you do certain things to certain groups of people, using force in certain way or certain ways or whatever, I genuinely feel like that person might be more respected in a way. You know, I think that there's just, just in general, I feel like if you're talking about 12 previous incidents, it's like, you have to think 12, like, that's a whole lot of different situations and complaints and whatever. And imagine even just one of those situations being dealt with correctly could have stopped this happening. Mm -hmm. But if there's, you know, just 12 of them and then it leads to this, and then just think about, it's just the knock-on effect and this led to what's going on right now, as in all these riots and all this protests and all sorts of stuff going on. So, yeah, it's just, you know, I just think there's yeah, a culture of just, you're allowed to do this, you're allowed to mistreat certain people, and you'll even be rewarded, probably. Like, for, they'll be rewarded for it to an extent. Um, I think it's important to point out that while we are talking about Derek Chauvin, uh, he wasn't the only police officer that was present there that day, uh, which might make it even worse. Because when you think about it from the, the standpoint of, you know, there's always the argument that, oh, it's just a rogue cop, but there was four police officers there. And I think uh, Steve mentioned their name, so I'll just repeat it again. 
So the other police officers there were J. Alexander Quang, Thomas Lane, and To Tao. Now, uh, Alexander Quang and Thomas Lane were also kneeling on George Floyd's body, uh, and To Tao was actually standing menacingly uh, above all three of them and telling people who were recording it or telling the people who were telling them to stop to kind of step back, and he was kind of in a threatening manner telling everybody to stay away. Uh, so you're you're looking at Derek Chauvin, and although yes, he is somebody who's had twelve complaints, uh, I think as you said, he's someone who has earned his stripes, so to speak, in the police force. Because uh, as we mentioned, he's been given com- commendations for bravery, so he wasn't any small fry. And the police officers there with him that day clearly were ready to follow in whatever action he wanted to take, um, mm-hmm. because they literally just stood there, watched, partook, and none of these other three police officers have actually been charged with anything. Mm-hmm. So it's almost kind of, they charge Derek Chauvin just to kind of say, oh, look, we've done something now, just to kind of almost release the pressure a little bit. But the other three police officers that were there and are complicit in it have not been charged. So I think it's an important point to bring up. Mm. Yeah, and also the charge was, it, was it, um, I read, was it third degree manslaughter or something like that? I'm not even... So yeah, there's three it. degrees of uh, murder that you can charge someone with. Uh, the first degree is if it's pre-planned, premeditated, mm. and the second one is it's uh, and if, uh, sorry, first degree is if it's pre-planned, premeditated, and done with the intention to kill. Second degree is if it's done with the intention to kill but is not premeditated, and third mm. degree is if it's uh, done kind of accidentally, but you know done nonetheless. Uh, now the worry is if you take him up with the first degree uh, murder charge and you go down that route you're not likely to convict him because how do you prove that he had pre, pre-planned to kill George Floyd? As in, did mm-hmm. he wake up that morning and say, I'm going to go and kill George Floyd? You wouldn't be able to plan it. And if you lose that case, then he could walk free. Mm-hmm. Which to me kind of suggests a giant flaw in the justice system of America that there is a possibility this man could walk away if you try to convict him of first degree murder. But that is when you get the highest penalties. Yeah. So second degree won't be as, he won't get as high a penalty on second degree murder, but that might be the route that they go down or even third degree. Mm. I mean, did you hear that? Um, oh, sorry. sorry, go on, Tony. I was going to say, did you hear that um, apparently those two individuals knew each other before? Like George uh, yes. Floyd and the, and the officer, yeah. That so they apparently they worked is... together for 17 years or something. Yeah, as at, at, guards. Uh, yeah as a security guard. So. The person yeah. who owned the establishment with which they both worked said that while George Floyd worked security indoors, Derek Chauvin worked security outdoors for around 17 years. Now, they're saying that because one of them worked indoors and one of them worked outdoors, they might not have met one another. But yeah, I would argue that for 17 years working for the same establishment, you're more than likely mm-hmm. to know one another. And if that is the case, then one can make the argument that this is a premeditated murder because you knew the man that you ended up murdering. Mm-hmm. But I mean, how strong would that claim be if you took it to court? That's something that maybe a lawyer yeah. would have but, you know, It is kind of odd um, when you consider that they've worked in the same place for 17 years. I mean, definitely. Yes. Yeah. And to be able to, to do that even afterwards, I mean, you know, to yeah, see someone that, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's very wild. It's sickening, to be honest. Maybe we can talk about the reactions to the killing. So at the start, the local police union express support for the officers involved and it's exactly what we're talking about there's kind of a, a culture of protection especially when it's racially motivated 
They initially urged the public to stay calm. However, I must state that the National Police uh, Foundation and heads of both International Association of Chief Police condoned the actions. One of the chief police specifically said the inaction jeopardizes the gains that have been made throughout the sacrifices and courage of many. So the, 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 there was an awareness that, you know, this is, this is going to set America backwards again. Following this, the killing, uh, there was a mem- memorial attended by hundreds in protest for the death of George. The protest began peacefully and attracted hundreds of people. However, gradually, more people joined. It became uh, more violent with vandalism and rocks being thrown. The police and riot gear were eventually called in and fired beanbag rounds, uh, rubber bullets, chemical agents into the crowd. Later that evening, a target and auto zone were set up ablaze, and I believe they're the general shopping marts, as well as housing complexes and uh, p- police precincts. Following this, the violence, the president of the US, Donald Trump, tweets a tweet. Uh, These thugs are dishonoring the memory of George Floyd, and I won't let that happen. Just spoke to Governor Tim Waltz and told him that the military is with him all the way. Any difficulty, and we will assume control. But when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Thank you. This was quickly banned by Twitter as inciting hate, and they were worried about it basically spurring things on. So as Aaron said, following that tweet, that is when that is when uh, the officer was arrested and charged with murder. It only occurred after the rioting. So do you think, it's kind of a two-point two question, do you think the government response was correct? I guess we'll tackle that first. Oh, the government as in basically Trump or just in general? Trump, the police, uh, how do you think they dealt with the situation? I think it's just like... First of all, I'll start with Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, it's hard to know what to say about him, to be honest, because it's like, <laughs> with him, it's just like, he, first of all, just to provide context, it's like, I feel like he got his votes pretty much on the back of people who kind of despise ethnic minorities. So I'm just being pretty much honest. Like just yeah, people who just they just don't you know the whole make, make America great again thing, you know like on the back of Obama as well and he you know driven Obama's um, presidency kind of like you know tweeting all sorts of stuff about him and you know and all sorts of things things like that and then afterwards obviously how he got into you know office in the first place but in terms of his tweet like to get to that I just feel like you know like. The thing is, he knows what he's doing. So even just the, the alone just saying when the looting starts, the shooting starts, it's like, you know, there's there's no general like understanding of why people are angry. Mm-hmm. And another thing that really bothers me is that, and I've seen it on Twitter this whole time this has been going on, it's like there is many people out there literally just protesting like the intention to go out there is to protest. And every time something like this happens, whether it's in the US, the UK stuff has happened as well, I've, I've seen it. It's like people go out with an intention to protest, to literally just want to be heard. Mm-hmm. And then when it does get to a point where there's a lot of people there, at times the police do provoke certain responses from people. And they do certain things. And once again, there's a number of videos on Twitter right now which are showing what's going on. And then it might get a bit more hostile. But 
to once again like use this whole they're dishonoring the memory of of, of George Floyd is is to me it's just really disrespectful because at the end of the day you know why people are out there people are out there because there was an injustice it was a situation where we all saw how he passed away we all saw how brutal that was so people are going to be angry in terms of like the police and that and how they respond i just feel like once again any i just feel like anything they do they're going to be light with it towards their own people towards you know someone that does that and uh in terms of the responses of people now i don't want to be seen seem like a conspiracy theorist or anything yeah. but i feel like once again you know i said there's people out there protesting i feel like there are and there were people you know i don't know who where who from but i feel like there were people who were brought there to kind of dismantle what was intended to be done for example the lighting up of like Auto zone and things like that. Yeah. There's a video of a guy coming up there with an with an umbrella. It looked really suspicious. People were following him after he did that and thinking, asking him like, "What are you doing? Like, what what was your intention with that? Why did you put that on fire?" And then he didn't have much to say. Like, it looked like he put there for a reason. I don't know by who. But yeah, in terms of like the looting and all of that, would it's a tough one because it's like. No one wants to see, especially independent businesses, get messed over and people destroying things that people in the community have bought. No one wants to see that. Um, no one wants to see just chaos. Mm-hmm. But I feel like in this instance, there's different types of people. There are people who out there in the heat of the moment, they're like, it, I'm just going to get involved in this. Someone started it. Once again, some, some of this stuff's instigated, I believe, by people who we don't know who they are. Some of them might be people who were initially protesting and they got involved. Some people might be, some of them might be people who got fed up at the police's response. They're like, effort, let's just, you know, let's just crash everything down. I also feel like there's a small, not small, but there's a percentage of people who, they genuinely might have been out there, you know, in terms of like what's going on right now, apart from all this, the COVID-19 situation, if you're talking supermarkets, there genuinely might be people, not to justify it, but there genuinely might be some people out there who they don't have much going on for them right now yeah, in terms definitely. of money and all that. And they thought, you know what, let me just get some groceries here, some stuff there. But in terms of like people looting Gucci and all that, well, I don't know about that, <sighs> but like <laughs> all that and Dior and whatever. But yeah, I just feel like there's different types of people out there. But I think the initial people who are there, you know, you know, they have an intention to support the cause they want justice like for trump to directly you know quote when the looting starts the, shoot, the shooting starts it's like that type of stuff it's just to literally like you know make a threat to mm. your citizens like that and in my opinion also inciting some sort of emotion amongst people who despise the people who are protesting so it's like they might be certain I don't know, white supremacist groups might be like, you know what, we might as well go out there and handle them ourselves. Like, Definitely, yeah. He's saying shoot, might as well go out there and shoot them ourselves. So, I mean, every, a lot of stuff, man. everyone knows there's a racial context behind this. I mean, I, I, yeah. I know the president is not stupid, right? He's not going to say it outright. 
but you know when, when there's a racial context behind it and he mentions you know when the looting starts the shooting starts it for me that's obvious obviously directed to, in a racist way um mm-hmm. it's is not empathetic uh there's there's yeah. no kind of uh, uh reach for healing it's uh, directly exactly. is the way america's treated black americans frankly uh, historically is you get out of line anyhow that we deem unfit and you get the stick yeah so now i just wanted to kind of point out the irony in saying that you know these thugs are dishonoring the memory of uh, george floyd and as a result i am therefore going to uh, order the shooting and therefore further civilians to honor the memory of a civilian who was murdered at the hand of the police for like there's an irony in saying that you're going to shoot people who are protesting about a man who was unjustly murdered he, he, he when you say that donald trump isn't an idiot i i i don't really know to be entirely honest with you. i think the worst thing about donald trump is that there have been previous presidents who have put on the facade of idiocy to try and uh, hide their way away from accountability so it's like ah it's bush he's not very smart but in reality, they're all you know, well-educated men and they know exactly what they're doing. But the issue with Trump is I genuinely just don't think he's very smart. And as you said, by saying stuff like um, if the looting starts, the shooting starts, he's actively calling in the all-right to basically bring the AR-15s and exactly. shoot. Mm. Dangerous. Like, I, I, I think Trump actually knows exactly what he's doing. We see a, a movement throughout the world of moving more to the alt-right essentially um, more fascist in my opinion yes and and you you, you you see if you look at it in the past with Mussolini you, you, you know harsh dictators and fascist dictators who used nationalism and to be quite frank racism as a driver of their their policies Trump understands that this is what people want now you know yeah. we can deny it all day people can deny it all day but we see it in the UK we see it all over Europe and in America so he knows how to reach out to his fan base yeah, I think he speaks really well with the base that votes for him. He can really get down to their level and kind yeah. of just speak their language and say, look, here's what we're going to do. And exactly. I mean, people do call him the orange Mussolini and they don't do that for no reason. They, they, I mean, he really is following in the path of previous fascists in, in history. Yeah, and populist, if, populist exactly. uh, propaganda. And if something isn't done, uh, I do worry about the future, not just for African-Americans, but for everyone. Uh, yeah, Tony? Yeah, um, I just wanted to say as well, I didn't even touch on the word thug because I feel like that word mm-hmm. is, such a, is such a coded word and it's such a like, it's a word that's had such a history mm-hmm. and not to even try to be like, break, break, break it down in like etymology or whatever, but even just if we go back to the word that was initially used to discriminate against black people in America, the N-word, and then you kind of had like a shift towards kind of the Black Panther era. And then after that, it was kind of like the crack era where unfortunately a lot of black people in inner city felt like they had to dabble in certain things to get money, such as, you know, selling drugs and things like that. Mm. And then the word thug comes up a lot. And then you kind of have the thing where Tupac takes the word thug and then kind of has a thug life. But then the thug to him means the hate you get, the hate you give or thug life to him meant the hate you give little infants f's everybody so that was like his meaning behind it but in the mainstream media the word thug was basically used in my opinion to basically as another word for the n-word to be honest with you 100 percent. and, and then, like even i'm oh, sorry sorry yeah uh, just to mention in his tweet he 
he purposely capitalized the word thug. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Like so, you said, yeah, replace it with the N word. Yeah, and it's uh, in in Charlottesville when the far right we had the tiki uh, torches and they were you know marching and doing Nazi salutes. Uh, Donald Trump referred to them as very fine people. Now do with that what you want. Exactly. Do with that what you want. I just uh, want to. Yeah. Sorry, Karen. Um, no, I just wanted to ask you guys like, what is your opinion on the whole like? Because I've on Twitter, for example, I've been seeing a lot of mixed opinions on the whole rioting and the destructive side of it because i've seen a lot of people who from different races some people totally condemn that some people are saying that you know in order to create change there has to be like some sort of loss there has to be discomfort there has to be something that you know what i mean there has to be something that is there has to be some sort of destruction really in a way or else people won't listen people won't care and in the in the case of buildings being put on fire and smashing of windows, like that is led to, even though the justice isn't perfect and people aren't happy necessarily, but it led to some sort of voices being heard. Like, yeah, I, I think, know, think um, of that? the very last thing you said there was very important because as we know it multiple times, Chauvin wasn't, or Chauvin or however you pronounce his name, he wasn't arrested until the rioting started. Now, mm. I think protesting in and of itself does not work in the way it's been done in the past 20 to 30 years within Europe and the USA. If you ask the governing party or whoever's in charge, can I do a walk through these specific streets on this specific day? You're asking for a day out. Now, I heard the comedian say, they say this as well. It's just a crap day out. Funny, it's not yeah. really a protest because they're giving you the opportunity to go out according to their rules and according to what fits them. That's not a protest. Now, as you said before as well, I don't agree with uh, burning down small businesses. But again, as you also pointed out, not to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but it seemed that some of the burning down of smaller businesses was being instigated uh, by people that we don't know. And Mm -hmm. in my opinion, the rioting actually caused some sort of change to happen which wasn't happening before, hasn't happened in the last 20, 30 years with the countless uh, murders that have been caught on camera. So I think realistically speaking, you know, I don't want to say I'm fully behind it, but I'm fully behind it. Can I say like in, in any other instance of history where this has occurred, it's praised. If you look at American history, when white people were, were, you know, uh, battling against the British, it's praised. If you look at it in France, it's praised, you know, revolution, praise, praise, praise. The only time it's ever not praised is when it's frankly done by ethnic minorities. So, you you, you know, like, unfortunately, if the government doesn't take responsibility for its actions, this is the consequence. And it it shouldn't be blamed on the people uh, doing it. It's the government's responsibility to not allow it to get to this point. And if it's reached this point, nothing else works. It's for me, it's justified. Um, I can like compare with my own heritage. Uh, when Algeria was in a civil war with France, you know, innocent people died. People deserved it died. But you know, we can protest all day. Uh, we're still going to remain, uh, you know, colonies of France. Um, it's only so far can you take the peaceful protests, in my opinion. Yes, true. Yeah, I mean, if we open it up to a more international scale, from my own heritage as a Kurdish person, uh, you know, the Anfal campaign in, from Saddam and the you know, generations of genocides from the Turkish Republic as well, you can only tell the people to turn the other cheek so many times before 
eventually they say, you know what, I'm not like I have to defend myself and my right to live. Mm-hmm. You can't keep expecting the people that you are brutalizing to just sit there and take it. When they react, to kind of demonize them and say, oh, look how fuggish they are. Well, we can point at countless instances where you've done far worse than destroy some property. You can rebuild buildings. You can't give a person back their life once you've taken it. That's, that's literally what I was thinking as well. Literally what I keep seeing here is this idea that basically property is, better, is more important than human beings. You know, there's literally people who have seen, oh, you're you know, they're destroying this store, that store, this corporation, that corporation. Some corporations have even come out and said, you know what, we understand what's going on. You understand people have been mm. oppressed for so long and it's going to boil over and it's going to lead to this. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it's going to lead to a point where, you know, you have to disregard property sometimes. You have to just do what you have to do because end of the day, if people are, if, if a man's lost his life and countless before him are in the same situation in the same way, you know, this isn't the last, the, the only I can't breathe situation. Like, wasn't it Eric Garner that passed away the same yeah. way? I think he was saying that. So it's like, how many times exact is it going to happen? Words. Yeah, how's it going? How many times is it going to happen? So, all that Gucci, Dior, whatever, like bloody whatever company, this, that, that. Listen, yeah. that can get put put away. If human life isn't protected, then people are going to have to show their anger somewhere. Like, they're going to have to do something. So yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, well said, Tony. That was bloody brilliant. So in the second half, we want to talk uh, a little bit about racism and how it's developed over the past, let's say, 100 years and how our way of viewing it has changed over the times. Uh, to begin, I want to read a quote about, uh, by Malcolm X. Um, Malcolm X says, Be peaceful, be courteous, obey the law, respect everyone. But if someone puts his hand on you, send him to the cemetery. Now, in a world where Malcolm X is considered a violent revolutionary and someone, let's say MLK, is considered a non-violent one, uh, which approach do you think holds greater merit today and why? You know what, with, with that, it's a really tough one because I feel like, if I'm really being honest, if we're looking at what has been going on the thing is, you know what's interesting about this actually, just to put, just to bring more context in, like the whole Malcolm X, Martin Luther, Martin Luther King thing, is that in the times when you know obviously those those guys were around, I feel like it should have. I personally feel like it should have always been the, you know, if there's any because the type of things that used to happen to black people, there in terms of as in if we're talking about lynchings and things like that there really is no other way to counteract that yeah but yeah with violence hmm. because at the end of the day if your people are being oppressed in a way that you know first of all on a societal level it might not be hard for jobs if you do get a job you're going to be discriminated against in the schools so in fact actually if you take it to the whole like segregation side of it you know the tap waters, the, you yeah. know, the fountains, this is for white people, this, you know, you can't use this, this and that. I feel like, I feel like initially, the only way you can counteract that is being like, you know what, these guys aren't showing respect to us, so I can't show no, no respect to you. Mm-hmm. But I feel like MLK, being a reverend, played a big part with him because he was trying to literally say, you know what, 
I don't want to compromise my Christian faith, so I'm going to try my best to keep it peaceful. But I I'm personally believe that, like, even though to the world it appears to work, as in, you know, a lot of, uh, to me, in my opinion, a lot of racist white people's, like, counteraction to things that happen in terms of protests and if it gets violent or whatever, or they're always like, oh, you know, what would MLK say? Yeah. The reality is, like, this is the harsh reality. When, just before MLK passed away and was assassinated, and that's the key part, he was assassinated, he literally said, mm-hmm. I feel like I've integrated my people into a burning house, something along those lines. I wish I watched the the speech before this, I heard it. Yeah. But yeah, he said something <laughs> along the lines of, in a way, he kind of, not saying he regretted it, but I think he, there might have been slight regret mm-hmm. in terms of, did we integrate into a society that really is just not for us? Like we, we're not going to be treated correctly. So I think that if you're putting the whole MLK, Malcolm X thing, I think that, like, you know, the only way, in my opinion, is if someone's going to approach you with that sort of abuse and force and whatever, the only way is to really counteract the same way back, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and in I, these times, especially. Uh, sorry. Yeah. No, I just wanted to quickly uh, make a point because you said something really interesting there. You said that MLK kind of wanted to take the nonviolent route almost because at the end of the day, he was a reverend. And a mm. lot of people don't, don't take that into consideration. And the quote that I just said is a very famous quote by Malcolm X. But a lot of people don't know that that quote actually starts off where he's talking about the Quran. And he says, the Quran, my book, my holy book, doesn't teach us to be violent. It teaches us to be peaceful. And then he goes on to say that quote, as in, be peaceful, be calm. But if someone puts their hand on you, then you can basically put your hand on them. So yeah. he, he also kind of looked at it from a religious standpoint. But as you can see, two people can both be religious. Both their religions can preach, in essence, in my opinion, the same thing, which is peace and love. Uh, but they can take two different routes. And as you said very rightly, Malcolm, uh, Malcolm and MLK actually weren't that different towards the end, just before they were assassinated. And mm-hmm. as you also pointed out, they kind of use MLK as a way of saying, oh, you should be docile, you should not take action, you should you know, be peaceful about it, you should turn the other cheek. But I'm going to read you a quote now from Martin Luther King, uh, which kind of shows that he didn't believe in being docile. He, he wanted people to take action. So I'm obviously going to change a few of the words because I, I can't say the whole thing. Um, just because of the language used, I don't think it would be right for me to say it. But uh, I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the black man's great stumbling block in his stride towards freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate, who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who paternalistically believes he can set the timetable for another man's freedom. Now, MLK is saying that he would rather deal with Ku Klux Klaners then these people who take this moderate approach and say, uh, you know, we don't want to cause tensions. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to upset the status quo. We'll do it. We'll get there in the end. But let's take the slow and long route without the thought of, well, while we're taking this slow and long route, there are people suffering. And is it worth taking that slow, long, hard route when we can actually put an end to this potentially quicker if we take another route? Uh, I, think that's, I think that's an interesting point to kind of, 
delve into a little bit. I don't know what you guys think about that quote and so on. But. I, I think when he speaks about that, he speaks about systemic racism, uh, closet racists. Uh, and I, I think that's, that's one of the most venomous st- style of racism. It's, uh, it's everlasting. Uh, it's, it's not over in your face. So, you, you know, if you use violence or if you use uh, anything to tackle it, you're, you're automatically painted as the bad guy. And uh, yeah, I, I, I honestly think that is the most dangerous one. That is how you keep people oppressed for generations. You, you know, to kill one man or to oppress millions over generations is a, is a, is a different thing. And I, th- I think that's what he was worried about. What do you think, Tony, of, of that quote? You know what's interesting? That reminds me of like nowadays and the All Lives Matter people. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. As in like the people who you kind of say black black lives matter and then as in you know just as a statement as in you know our lives do matter in this you know this world where might be treated as less than and then they respond with but what about everyone like you know in a way as in it looks like as in like you're not even understanding the context of what that means it just means like we're trying to say that yes black lives do matter like we're trying to Put that statement out there in the sense that because it's put literally it's thrown the energy is put to us all the time that we don't matter and then they'll say but oh but this but but why can't we just <laughs> put the race aside i don't see color like things like that yeah that reminds exactly. me of that because i feel like subconsciously what you're trying to say is you don't really want to acknowledge someone's struggle like you don't really want to you don't even want to acknowledge like the context and I think if you, if a lot of those people who say that were to uncover why they do that, they might realize they might actually be have underlying racist views. So that statement kind of reminded me of that. And what also what I got from that is I just thought it was quite interesting that he thought that um, he'd rather deal with the open racist or like the clan because I think a lot of people, in a way, I've heard of a lot of people who've said that as in. They'd rather just deal with a. They'd rather encounter racist and know, okay, that person stands there, like that person's there because you know what to do, like you know how to deal with that person. But the person who kind of lurks around and is, you don't really know, that's the person, in my opinion. To me, this is why how I view American government as well. I feel like there is so many of them in 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 politicians like that. I feel like a lot of them are the Democratic Party where they act like they care about black issues and stuff and then when there's elections they pander i feel like behind closed doors i don't think they really care and it's really dangerous because look at now the systems like this and because of no direct changes happening you know even post mlk and stuff you've come to this and yeah so his his point was valid in that in that sense um i was actually glad you brought up the uh, democrats because now that we're doing quotes of each of these men, let me switch straight back to Malcolm X. Uh, Malcolm X actually views uh, or viewed uh, two different groups in public. So he, he basically said, the liberal is like a, is like a, a fox. They'll grin, at, they'll grin at you. They'll make you think that they're smiling. They'll bring you in. And that's when they'll bite. So mm-hmm. he, he, the Democrats, sorry. And so he feels that, as you say, the Democratic Party, although they're kind of out there as though, you know, we're the party for the people, 
when you look at what they've done when they've been in power, like for example, Joe Biden is now running for Democratic, uh, as a Democratic candidate. He drafted the crime bill. Exactly. Bill Clinton introduced the free strikes and you're out uh, kind of law, which directly targeted ethnic minorities within the United States. So I feel like, and you know, actually a very interesting quote from Joe Biden. He says, if you um, are black and you don't vote for me, are you even black? I was going to put up. They expect you to vote for them. Kind of like how Labour has been here for many years, which is, I think, the reason why people didn't like Corbyn, because Corbyn was, I believe, would have actually made some changes. But Labour has, generally speaking, kind of felt that we have the black vote. We have the ethnic minority. We don't have to work for your vote. Now, so when people say, oh, you don't have to vote for Labour just because you're an ethnic minority, I agree to that. I I don't think we should vote for the Conservatives, don't get me wrong. Mm. I don't think we should vote for the Conservatives, but there is a point to be made that just because you're a Democrat or just because you're part of the Labour Party does not mean that you automatically get the ethnic minority vote. Uh, And there is something sadistic about it, but yeah. Yeah. Um, Steve, do you want to say something about this? Um, uh, Well, maybe short. Uh, Yeah, so like American history for me has been i mean we don't look that far we can only look in our parents generation where essentially genocide was happening in my opinion you know direct lynching i don't know what else you want to call it but genocide yeah Yeah, people shy away from that word when you know if you if you if you apply that to any other nation it'd be immediately condemned and you know sanctions placed but yet the americans get away with it and uh yeah really that's what popped into my head um mlk's uh like what, what, what he said, Aaron, that you mentioned about, you know, being worried about the, the closet racist. I mean, this is also in like the workplace, you know, this, this is everywhere and it's creeping. And, you know, some of these people don't even know what they're doing, actually. But if you talk to them and you dig a little bit, it comes out. Um, exactly. Yeah. Sorry, Tony. So you, you wanted to address something that Aaron was uh, talking about? Yeah. What I was going to say was in terms of like Joe Biden and his you ain't black comment if you don't vote for me or whatever. It's really interesting because it came up in a, in a way in a, like, I just feel like in the past few years in general, in America especially, there has been some sort of like, I don't know, people hate the word, but like a wokeness. <laughs> like people are becoming woke or like to different things in different areas. But in terms of the black black side of it, people become more woke. And a couple of black celebrities, for example, I think, I don't know whether it was P. Diddy or someone else. I'm not sure if it was him, but it might be someone else. And Charlemagne was involved as well. He just said that, like, you can't get the black vote easy this time. Like, he was basically making statements like, we're not going to fall for your little pandering things. And, you know, Hillary Clinton in the last election was came in and talked about Beyonce and just different yeah. coming on to, onto that breakfast club show and talking about hip hop and this and that, like trying to lure the black community and like people like Charlemagne and um, who interviewed Joe Biden when he said that, and a few, a couple of celebrities were saying, no, we have, you have to fight for that vote. And um, it's just interesting. Like Joe Biden's response to that with the, you ain't black if you don't vote, it just shows exactly what they feel deep down. It's just like, yeah we have your vote like you like we can just do anything basically we don't really have to do much you know we've got you in terms of the votes and then when we're in power like who knows what's gonna happen like it is what it is because i don't know how many how i don't know what the black community think of when george bush was there or whoever was there but um 
you know, even with Obama, it's like, I know there's this thing where people feel like, and Obama also is like from, he's Kenyan as well, and I'm Kenyan, so we're half Kenyan. So, mm-hmm. you know, even with that, it's like, sometimes I find myself, like, I can't even judge him correctly because it's like, there's a bias. But even with mm-hmm. him, it's like, we have to be really honest about what he did while he was in power. And a lot of these police killings and all that stuff, that was it during his reign. And even if you want to talk about foreign policy, that's a whole other level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bombing certain countries in Africa and all of that stuff, that's another, you know, talk. But, you know, I think it's really time for people in general and black people there and in general to just be honest. Like, who is really for you in terms of the, Democrat, the Democrats I and think, whatever? I think what like, you said about Hillary Clinton was so accurate because... Hillary Clinton started talking about Beyonce and doing this and that. And the issue is it's so transparent. Where were you the previous four years? Did you ever go onto a, a, a black owned TV channel and talk to people there? About yeah, she their did. Issues? She did. Do you remember, she, wait, sorry. Do you remember when she called someone yeah. a super predator? Do you remember yeah, that? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you, you only come about around when you want our votes. If you're an ethnic minority, mm. you, you won't even know who the politician for your local area is until it's time to vote for them. And then they'll say, oh, I've been here for you for the past four years. No, you haven't. Because you believe that you just get our vote. And in my opinion, people are often criticized for not voting for anyone. They say, oh, you know voters are the reason that this, this happened. No, it isn't. The, the people to blame for, for example, the Conservatives getting elected here or the Republicans getting elected in America, is the Democrat Party and is the Democratic Party and is the Labour Party. You have to fight for your votes. You don't just get my vote just because you have a specific exactly. banner or a colour on your on your flag. I don't care about any of that. What policies are you going to put into place for me? And how can I trust that you're going to do that when you haven't been around for four years? Mm. Don't exactly. come and you know do do a midly rock. A week before the election, and then think that I'm going to be like, oh, they're just like me. Don't insult our intelligence. You know what's so funny? That makes sense. I just remembered something like that Hillary Clinton done in that interview. She was talking about like she she likes hot sauce. (laughs) She actually said that in in like an interview, and I'm just thinking like, this is the thing. What, What are you doing? You know what? It's really. And this goes back to like perception of race and things like that. It's really sad because it's just like this idea of um, kind of in order to get the black vote, you have to kind of be on like some hip hop like type of, you know, hip this that. You have to. It's just. It's just. It's a joke, really. But yeah, it's, it's like, it's as like if, a clown. Yeah. It's, it's like a clown show. Uh, I feel yeah. like I'm watching TV Which, and it's a comedy. You know, and everyone can see it. It's not, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know, it's exactly like you said, you know, it's pandering towards hip hop, pandering towards popular black culture. Uh, you know, you can be yourself, but give us some real policies. Give us Thank like, you. exactly what, you're, what you can provide for us. Go on, Aaron. Um, I just want to kind of, before we move on to the next bit, I just want to kind of finish off with yet another quote. I know I'm giving loads of quotes today, but I think it's relevant to look back at the past to kind of learn fire. in the future. Yeah, it's true. Um, So Malcolm X, again, he says, you know, when you look at other cultures, when you look at, um, you know, whether it's the white culture in America or in Europe or wherever, when you want to discuss complex, um, complex issues, uh, 
you go to people, for example, who are professors, who are people who have been educated in the fields that they, you are discussing. Uh, but when it comes to black culture, or when it comes to any ethnic minority culture, you call up a comedian, you call up a, a, a rapper, oh a, so you know, mad. whatever. Why are you asking? I mean, uh, Dave Chappelle said this very nicely. I don't want to hear what Ja Rule has to say right now. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? I don't want to hear Ja Rule. Why is it that when it comes to us, they ask people who are completely uneducated to speak on the mouth? What has that got to do? I, mean, I don't want to hear what some comedian has to say. I want to hear what an educated, uh, you know, somebody who's gone to school for this, who's educated, who's looked into this for the whole of their life, who has lived it, what they have to say. I don't care what Ja Rule has to say. I don't care what, you know, I mean, Travis Scott came out today and said a bunch of mad. I don't care what Travis Scott has to say. But yeah, Tony, what do you think? Yeah, you know what? Going back to what Steve said, it's like, it, it looks like a clown show. It looks like a circus, literally. It, it just looks like, because imagine, oh, what was I going to, I was going to mention an actual incident or actual example. Yeah, anyway, it, it looks like a a circus, literally. Mm-hmm. As in like the whole, even how you mentioned Ja Rule, like the whole, oh, get, get, when Digi mm. goes like, get Ja Rule on the phone and this and that, or like, yeah. <laughs> they, they, there was a ser- there's serious issues and then you're bringing Ja Rule there. And this is no disrespect to, to rappers because I think people don't give a lot of rappers um, kind of the props of being intelligent. But even literally, this is what I was thinking of, T.I., the rapper T.I. from Atlanta, like that, in, uh, <laughs> there was like, I, don't, I think it was like a press conference type thing with like, was it yeah. the mayor of Atlanta? Oh, I don't know, correct me afterwards. This yeah. guy was saying that Atlanta is like the Wakanda of <laughs> Saying that Atlantis, the Wakanda of America. But the thing is, here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. Like, we can't blame the rappers because, to be honest, yeah. he's doing his best. You know, this is him actually trying. But, but yeah. if you look historically, whenever black people try to get together to form real political groups, uh, mm. like the Black Panthers, immediately it's going to be shut down. Uh, I mean, I've, I've obviously, obviously, we studied history where like black banks were being formed immediately these communities were shut down black businesses started forming gaining powder uh, power immediately shut down and it's because they know they know when it comes to mm. real power and real yeah. you can't have given that so what do they allow they allow puppets they allow things that 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 take yeah. that position but but in reality it's just it's just a play it's it's, it's not reality and you feel it now you know and and if as as, as a young impressionable person it's easy to relate to these uh, singers and look up to them. When there's nothing left, what do you do? Do you know what I mean? You can't, you can't blame them. The rappers are going to do their best. And the thing is, what, what makes it even worse is, because I, I, on a personal level, have been kind of like following, I don't, I don't even say for that long, but like I've been following like black issues and whatever since, I don't know, teen years, maybe early teen years. Uh, just from when I was kind of starting to understand like the concept of race and just like MLK, Malcolm X and that. So I've been, I look deeper into it as time gone on, as time gone on, and you, you, hear, you hear about leaders here and hear leaders there. There are, when I tell you, there are so many quote unquote black intellectuals, black leaders, black, black people who are men and women who are into different things, doctors, into nutrition, into this, into that, into the political side. There are so many people that they can bring on TV when such things are happening. 
Mm-hmm. And, the, and the thing is, what's sad is they're tucked away on YouTube. So when you have people like, say, Dr. Umar, Dr. Umar is actually like one perspective. And then you have other people and then a, a whole bunch of other people who, they might be doctors, might be this, might be that. But they're kind of tucked away in this, like, I don't know if you've heard the term hotep to describe, like, no, no. kind of black, yeah, the kind of black people that are kind of, like, into, you know, they they reflect on, like, the past and this and that. But mm-hmm. even aside from that, there's a lot of different um, black leaders and this and that who, you know, they're well-educated and well-versed on certain topics. And a lot of them need to be put in, in the forefront in terms Definitely. of just, like, discussions on TV. And once again, to the to the rapper type side of things, once again, there are many rappers which they can talk on certain things. Like people like J. Cole, Kendrick Lamar, who in their music, every single album, there is a, a special amount of songs dedicated to social commentary, like reflecting on what goes on, politics, this and that. Honestly, I don't think they've ever really been called for interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, they might, if, they, if you've heard of like a rapper called Killer Mike, he's, 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 um, He's mentioned a lot. He's brought on a lot. But I just feel like there is this thing where they purposely don't want to open the door to a lot of other these, a lot of these other intellectuals or leaders, whoever, because, you know, like what you said, Steve, it's like you want to kind of keep this idea that, you know, this kind of clown type circus type thing where, you know what, like the Black Wall Street type thing where we don't want these people to kind of, you know. Real power. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the piece of part. I think, sorry, Aaron, can I say something before? Um, yeah, sure, sure. Like one of the biggest tells is that um, I, I remember like at school, uh, you, you know, I remember being in a history class and the teacher was teaching, for example, Malcolm X in such a negative way. And, and I, was, I, was asked, I asked him this, like, why, you, you know, why, why, why not teach? Like, why, why is he the bad person? You know, I, I was for Malcolm X and she was like, oh, no, you know, he wasn't peaceful, blah, blah, blah. But then she'll bring... <laughs> I don't want to mention this teacher's name, but then she'll bring up some like absurd people that have nothing to do. Do you know what I mean? And it's, it's mm. for me, it's like, it's, in, it's encroached into education. I mean, I can tell you during the Algerian revolution, Malcolm X was one of the most famous people that they looked up to. Can you imagine a revolution that mm. has like nothing to do with yeah, black nothing. Americans yet in Algeria, they were, he, he was revered upon. So, and you can see the yeah. power that he had on those people. So imagine if he was allowed, or like, like you said, Tony, we have physicists, you know, massive physicists uh, in the black community. Unheard of. I mean, but, but yet you hear of these uh, uh, other physicists, on, at least on the science level, that, you know, get the limelight. And it's unfair. How do you inspire the next generation of black youth exactly. to keep going forward? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, what I wanted to say was, when you're talking about, you know, Black Wall Street and the Black Panthers and these different organizations that have previously been set up to, you know, if you need to talk to someone, here's an educated person in this field who knows exactly what to talk about, bring them in. But the reason why a lot of these things don't exist anymore is because they've been criminalized. And, you know, Donald Trump, we talk about his tweets all the time, but he actually tweeted something that to me was very worrying. He said that he wants to make Antifa a, a terrorist organization or give it a terrorist designation. Now, Antifa is not an organization. It's an abbreviation for anti-fascist. So if you protest uh, in, a, in a way that, you know, you openly say you are anti-fascist, you are going to be designated a terrorist. Now, no, that but... is, you know, a complete violation of your 
right to speech. And that's very dangerous. I mean, so what? I can't, I can't disagree with you and go and protest, which is a right that I have as a human being, because what, I'm going to be designated a terrorist now all of a sudden? And it's very worrying the kind of direction these things are taking. But um, yeah, Tony, you look like you want to say something? Yeah, I think that, that is actually very worrying because I feel like that's going to be used now, especially in terms of like, because at the end of the day, we have to, you know, we have to, we have to understand the internet that we use so freely, there is a lot of people watching what we're doing, I believe anyway. Mm. And even in terms of just like, if you use certain words and this and that, it's like someone could, you know, I don't know, not on some conspiracy like CIA, MI5 type thing, but someone could literally pull up your tweets. In, in that context now, like you said of the, um, Donald Trump saying Antifa is a, ter- a terrorist organization, so that means that someone can look at a tweet and say, okay, they with this views, or someone who's protesting, they could say, okay, that one's got terrorist ties because they're doing that. Or they said that on the, a tweet that day when this happened, so they're involved. So it's like, it's opened the door to so many, like anyone can get pulled up for that now in America, basically now. Because if you're, you know, it's really vague. So mm. yeah, it's quite dangerous. I wanted to actually make the point that um, it's a good thing you brought up the tweet. I've had family members who have gone to like uh, Turkey, flown over there, who when they arrived at the border, they have traditionally Kurdish names. And because their name is Kurdish, they immediately ask, what does your name mean? Now, if they say my name means this, then they're like, oh, so you have a name in the Kurdish language. That's a banned language in this, in this country. They'll look up in your phone. They'll mm-hmm. download the contents of your phone and they'll look for specific key phrases. If they see the word Kurdish written in there, for example, you'll be put on a no-fly fly list, sent out of the country, and you can never go back. So if you've got elderly parents there, you are not going to see them again until they're dead. And this has happened to me, it happened to like at least four or five members of my family, just for following a music page, a Kurdish music page, for example. They see that as you are being a separatist because this music and this language is not allowed within our nation. Now, I have a quote here from a Musa Antes, who's a Kurdish, uh, Kurdish writer and activist. He was assassinated in 1992. He says, if my mother tongue is shaking the foundation of your state, it probably means that you built your state on my land. Now, that's an important quote, because when you apply that to America, the land belongs to the Native Americans. The labor with which you built your states, it belongs to the African Americans. And so Mm. when these two demographics, for example, want the same quality of life that you have, it shakes the foundation of your state. Because you built your state off of their suffering. And it's very important to kind of put all of these things, although it seems like I'm kind of picking different points, it's actually important to bring all of these together and kind of look at what they consider to be criminal and if it actually even is criminal. I mean, a a tweet, you can bring it up um, that somebody's tweeted 10 years ago and you can justify putting them into prison. But a man who, as we discussed in the previous section, murdered someone on on, uh, camera can get away with it uh, unless there's riots. You have to look at what's being made criminal and why it's being made criminal to kind of understand mm-hmm. why we're going in the direction that we are. Yes. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it seems difficult. One. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Um, uh, <laughs> to be honest, yeah, I was... Yeah, off yeah, yeah, that was a deep <laughs> yeah, one. Very <laughs> <laughs> <I feel>, deep. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I also wanted to say, like, all the, you know, a lot of atrocities has happened across the road to different races. And, uh, but out of all of them, the most patient people are literally black people, uh, black Africans and African-Americans. The, what they've been right, through, yet, 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 <laughs> yet, yet, yet till today, 
yet till today, you know, they, they've still been peaceful. I mean, any other nation, honestly, all over the world, look at Russia. I mean, the Russians did stuff to their own people. Within, I give it like 30, 50 years, revolution, uh, violence. Yet black Americans have been so patient and they're not given the respect that they deserve. You know, once it blows up, like it is now, which is inevitable, they don't get any any praise or, or, or anything, which is quite worrying, in my opinion. Um, I just want to quickly do like one last question, one last section to kind mm. of uh, finish off on, because uh, we do have to get going. Um, so since this murder has occurred, obviously, uh, a lot of people have been on Twitter and, you know, these other social media sites kind of talking about, you know, I'm glad that I'm not in America. I'm glad that I'm in the UK. Now that we're discussing kind of racism more globally, um, do you actually honestly believe that racism is uh, less accepted in the UK? And do you think that if something like that happened in the UK, the repercussions for the people who murdered the individual in question would be more severe? Yeah, earlier I mentioned Mark Duggan. And that one, like, I have to really go into that because that's an, uh, basically an example of like a similar situation as like I mentioned earlier, you know, he was, you know, basically being monitored by Trident on suspicion of trying to collect a firearm from someone who was a known criminal. Um, it happened obviously very locally, Tottenham. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the whole scenario, how it went down and how like in the media, like I literally remember that day, like just watching six o'clock news and it came up, there's been an exchange of fire in Tottenham and someone passed away and this and that. And, and the image it puts in your mind is, okay, you know, it's been basically a shootout type thing. And then later when we figure out he didn't actually shoot the bullet that was found lodged in like a policeman's radio or something was a, the police's bullet. So there was so much confusion. I've watched documentaries and it's contradictory. People are saying he took out a gun and dashed it away. My mind is telling me like, why would especially a black man take out a gun in front of police when you know that, you know what I mean? You know, so to basically put that in a nutshell is that like in the UK, racism is, 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 is such a, it's, 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 it's such an apparent thing. I can speak from my perspective. It's very, and this is, it's like open, but not open at the same time. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's in, in a way that there are certain people you may come across who are racist where they will just give their energy to you immediately, whether you're at work or whoever. They'll show you that I'm going to treat you different. Then you'll get the kind of, the little type of, you know, lady might be holding a purse closely when you walk by or cross the road that type of stuff and you know in the case of was your question like in the case of if something like that happened here as in their situation if happened here is it yeah i mean actually you kind of alluded to it pretty much perfectly so uh you know mark duggan's case pretty much follows the same uh, pattern of events that happened with george mm. floyd as in you know a man who hadn't you know had initially been claim to have resisted or you know in this case shot back uh, was shot by the police or murdered by the police and then riots ensued um, yeah. you know a lot of people say oh the, the uk police wouldn't dare to do that here because you know we turned this world upside down and they referenced mark duggan's uh, situation but i mean do you really think that 
UK police are scared to do anything like that? Or do you just think it's more covert here? I think, like, in my opinion, the UK police, it's not like in America where they carry firearms. So it's kind of limited in the opportunity where they can do these kind of things. Um, but definitely racism exists. I mean, I, I experienced what Tony, Tony has said in the past, you know. I've been called, I'm not even Pakistani, but I've been called the P word. Um, you know, same, I've, same. I've, I mean, I've been questioned why my name is Steve, you know, and then following racist abuse. Um, mm-hmm. uh, even, even like when you go for work, uh, you know, <laughs> when they're kind of asking questions that are culturally motivated, you, you know, oh, you know, do you do my, this? My first, it's, it's, my it's a bit, first ever job in science was kind of like that, where they spent 14 minutes asking me uh, about my background during the interview. The interview was one hour. I spent 40 minutes talking about what Kurdish people are. And that, exactly. I, I mean, I ended up getting the job. It is what it is. Uh, you know, I'm not going to turn down the job, but at the same time, I was mm-hmm. kind of like, why are we discussing this when I've got, you know, I've gone to some of the best unis in the country. Yeah, exactly. You're, yeah. you're not asking mm-hmm. me about that. You're asking me about, oh, but what are you? Oh, you're a Kurd. What's a, explain to me what a Kurd is. What's an Alivi? What's this? And I, yeah, I yeah. have to... I can, I can say like although I don't like it it's kind of not on purpose but I kind of white it up so <laughs> you know when I come into contact in job interviews <laughs> honestly yeah. and, and I, I don't like it's, it's, it's something I don't really I do realize I'm doing but I just go with it and I understand why I'm doing it because it's more like you, you want to be <laughs> in tangent with them instead of being perceived as against and of course it's a wrong thing to do but um, yeah I, I think this 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 is what racism is in the UK. It's more like ingrained. It's more yeah. mm. uh, it's covert, uh, in, in my opinion. Can I give some uh, stats from a study done recently by uh, Oxford University? Mm-hmm. Um, so Oxford University sent around uh, two hundred fake job applications for both uh, manual and non-manual jobs. Uh, they put pretty much the exact same content into the CVs that they sent out. Um, but they changed the names. So some yeah. of the names sounded more ethnic, some of them sounded uh, more British. And with most of the ethnic ones, they put in like maybe a line where it said, I came to this country at the age of five. But all the qualifications are the same, everything is the exact same. Now they said compared to white British a- applicants, people of uh, Pakistani heritage had to make 70% more applications. Nigerian and South Asian heritage, uh, 80% more applications. And Middle Eastern and North African heritage, 90% more applications to actually get a callback uh, for the jobs that they'd interviewed for. So it kind of going back to the kind of covert racism that we're talking about, you know, you can send in your CV and you would have done the exact same thing that somebody else has done, but you just aren't given the chance. And when we often heard, you know, our parents say, you have to work twice as hard to get half of what they get. You know, we're often told, oh, you guys are just exaggerating it, but this is about Oxford University. You know, one of the best universities in the world, you're world renowned and you are telling us that is true. I used to not believe it. I used to not believe it until I, you know, you actually go through it. And you're like, yeah, when you grow up, you actually realise it. You realise it really, it hits you. Yeah. And you're like, damn, this is reality. And yeah. um, another, another on, Tony. Sorry. by yeah. the government. Oh, sorry, yeah, no, okay, okay. Go on, Tony. Yeah, I just wanted to mention, like, the media a bit quickly, just in terms of, like, immigration and just, like, um, also there's, like, a lot of media kind of propaganda towards, like, people who are um, kind of immigrated to this country even the like the sort of language and just like to people who are trying to get here like not people but like migrants are trying to you know just come here and da 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 like all of that plays a part in this 
you know, there's culture at work sometimes and different workplaces where it's like you kind of have to keep whiteness at the top. You know, mm. whatever's closest to whiteness has to be at the top. Exactly. And everyone else has to kind of, they just, yeah, it's part of the culture, unfortunately. But yeah, that's all I wanted to say. It's like, oh, sorry, I have, have an anecdote. You know, I, I went to work uh, in, in a high aerospace thing and uh, I met this guy and he was like, like you said, whiten it up. And then it, when it came down to it, he was also from Tottenham. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And then he broke down once he, once he found out, he just went back to his normal voice. So his normal, normal yeah. acting. And you know, when you know, like you're, yeah. you're, you finally find out. So it's, it's quite obvious. And I was like, oh, okay. It's not just me then, <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I want to kind of finish off by giving some statistics from the government website about uh, stop and search rates per 1,000 per ethnicity. So uh, the ones that really stand out, yeah, I don't think it's going to be much of a surprise for anyone, uh, is for any ethnicity group which is deemed as black. So they've put it into four different categories. So for just black, the category is just determined as black. Uh, it's 38 per 1,000. For Black African, it's 24 per 1,000. For Black Caribbean, it's 31 per 1,000. For Black Other, which I'm not really sure what that means, is a 100 per 1,000, the stop and search rate. Now, do you want to gander a guess at what the number is for the white ethnicity group? Less. Have a, have a gander. <laughs> Two. <laughs> you know what? You're you're dangerously close. It's four. Oh wow! Oh, wow. the four per thousand. Whereas the stop and search rate for the black other category is one hundred. Hmm. Now, when you consider the oh, yeah. uh, population demographics, it's it's kind of crazy because yeah. obviously ethnic minorities are ethnic minorities because they are in the minority, yeah. as in there are not that many of them. So mm. the fact that you can have 100 per 1,000, so 1 in 10 uh, rates for stop and search for the black other, you know, ethnic category, but for the white British category, actually, it's, it's three. So the title, when the title is just white, it's four. But when it's white British, it's, it's three per 1,000. Uh, I think this kind of goes back to the point of, uh, you know, when people scream, but what about black on black crime? And what about, you know, all lives matter? and all of this is, you know, they use stats where they say, oh, well, this, per this demographic commits more crimes. But I think the reason they commit more crimes is because they're stopped and searched more. So you catch them. Yeah, Tang? Yeah, and, and the thing is as well, it's like, there is this, like, I don't even know what to call it. It's almost like this criminalization of um, black men in particular and black boys. Because I'm, and if I'm bringing up a personal situation as well, I was first stopped, stopped and searched, like when I was, I think, twelve or thirteen, and like bear in mind, I'm not that tall. So back then, like I was probably like five foot three or something. I'm gonna like five foot four, something like that. But um, yeah. So and I think that's really the only time it's happened to me. Like maybe a couple of times after, maybe, but. The thing is, like, the point I was trying to make with that is, like, at that point, I was literally in a bus stop. I'd come back from athletics, I think, athletics training, and I was with a girl and another boy. And, you know, when it was happening, it was like, 
you know, they're kind of trying to justify it and say, you know, there's been stabbings in the area and, um, you know, yeah, there are a lot of stabbings in the area that I live in. But like, the thing is, is that when you're that age and once again, to put it back, I was literally, I was either 12 or I just turned 13 and I looked pretty damn young them times as well. It's like, it makes you, it changes your perception of the world and it changes your perception of like how you approach the world. Because if you're watching TV and like you see things happening and you've heard of, oh, this person got stabbed. When you're that age, you think of it as, oh, this is people older than me. That's got nothing to do with me. So then when a policeman comes up to you and says, there's been such and such in the area, we have to check your bags. And they're checking a the girl's bag as well. <laughs> like It was just really weird. And then also to make it worse, across the bus station, because it was at a bus station, um, there was a group, this will always stick with me, there was a group of like four or five like white youths who were much older than me and they were paid no mind. So it just hit me that from then I realized you're going to search a group of very young looking black youths, the white youths across there who are all all male, whatever, are are going to be disregarded. And uh, to go back on also what Aaron said afterwards, as in like, you know, the the whole kind of idea of uh, you kind of, there's this idea of um, if you kind of search, you're, you're, you're kind of putting your energy on a people where you know, your, the statistics is crazy, as in, like, you know, if you compare the black and the white. But what people need to also understand is the environments we come from, sometimes in terms of, like, you know, why, like, why is certain crimes happening? Why is there knife crime? Why is there this and that? Like, people just look at it like they watch TV and then they see such and such a stab this person, whatever. And a lot of the times it's not, it's really got nothing to do with race. It's nothing to do with this whole black on black thing. You know, it, it really is a matter of a lot of people are born into situations where it is not that easy. You know, you're, you're kind of, compared to everyone else, you are at the bottom of the totem pole. Yeah. To make it worse, there is inherent sometimes issues with certain areas and this and that. And Unfortunately, some people do feel like they have to carry to protect themselves. But at the same time, that the, the government's approach to it, it should be in a, a solution-based way. What I feel like is people don't look at the root cause of stuff. You could look at the situations that are going on in the community, or this is that. It could start off literally as simple as, you know, you're having a party. These group of guys are both at both at the party. They happen to be from certain areas. Something happens, a fight happens, and then all we have is just a back and forth situation for years. If you taught people, um, what's the word? If you taught people like young people methods of de-escalating issues. Yeah, exactly. If you went into the communities, yeah, that's it. That's all. That's the term. If you taught people how to deal certain situations if you went into the community and like spoke to these individuals not profile them not just walk around and say that's an IC, ic3 male let's go to him and check if he's got a knife in his bag mm. it's like yeah, it makes yeah, you feel yeah. more alienated and to make it worse this is a thing this is a very big reality when you actually demonize the people so much 
after a while, certain people might be like, you know what? Let me be the person that you think I am then. Exactly. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like, I grew up wanting to be this, but then you think I'm this so much, I might as well be that, yeah. along with all the other issues that someone's facing in their life. So, yeah, that's it's really it's mm-hmm. an array of issues, but yeah. Yeah, I have like my, my thoughts on stop and search and like, I, I believe like all solution, all problems should be tackled holistically. So um, there should be an active element of tackling a solution, but there has to be a root cause uh, tackling as well. Uh, mm. Do you know what I mean? Like if you don't address the root cause, it's just going to keep happening and happening and happening. Um, like you said, if you don't address the communities directly, what is broken, you know, like we, we all grew up in the same kind of areas. Uh, you see like broken homes, broken families, etc. And uh, there are like real poverty issues, real, real issues that are affecting these people that are just not being addressed. They're just be, kind of being let, 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 let being done. And then in the end, when you have this kind of approach that is already, like you said, most uh, racially motivated on top of it, it's mm. it's kind of worrying to see like will we ever find a solution to these ever problems or will they just keep tackling it the way that so you know society seems fit you know very direct yeah i think i i kind of wanted to make the point of um as you both said there's root issues involved now when you look at um the way it's portrayed in the media and by some stats uh, you would think that it's an issue strictly of uh, the black community, for example, knife knife crime. They say it's an issue should, like, specifically to the black community uh, because, oh, X number of people have been found with knives. But from the stats, we can tell that, you know, that other communities might have knives as well. They just aren't getting checked for it, mm-hmm. first of all. Secondly, the root cause, when you look at which areas uh, have given the most lives to knife crime, Glasgow is the knife capital of this country. Exactly. Now, what is yeah. the co- you know common causality between, let's say, a borough in London and somewhere up in Scotland? It's not race; it's the economic situation that the people are in. Exactly. So it's the poverty that is causing this sort mm-hmm. of this sort of issue. It's the social issues. Now, it's easier, I think, for people to just sweep it under the rug and say, "Oh, it's because they're just you know, it's because they're of this particular race." I think it's easier to say that than to actually invest time money uh you know and actually face your own demons in a way and say look we need to fix the issues here it's easier to just sweep it under the rug and say no no it's because these people are just genetically i mean what what is the what is the explanation here are you just genetically more prone to pick up a knife or how does that work <laughs> it sounds mental to us but some people believe like that, that it doesn't make yeah. sense whatsoever i mean yeah. what is the common cause you have to look at that and in my opinion it's poverty is social inadequacy yeah, and I want to, to be honest, I have to bring this up because this is a situation that is like, it's quite, I don't know, it's just really like unfortunate. There was a, basically a rapper who passed away in South London and um, he was basically involved in like drill music and things like that. And in an interview prior to him passing away, there was obviously, there was like an interview, there was a question given by an interview as in like, talking about drill music and how the media was talking about drill music and if it influences knife crime. But he was basically saying, like, prior to this drill music, there's been things going on for years like in this area where he's lived. And it's like, but you don't want to go into the communities and he gave examples like, oh, building like a pitch 
for the kids and just kind of renovating the area and youth clubs, this and that. But they just want to find a scapegoat. You know what I mean? Yeah. They want to find a scapegoat and they want to kind of point the blame. And back to like also Erwin's point with like Glasgow being heavy and knife crime, this and that. You know, even the whole argument of like um, black on black crime and like people bringing up black on black crime, even when there's an injustice done by like the police and stuff, it's like if you're in an area and there's crime happening in the area, the crime is going to happen to people in the area. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if you're around this certain race of people, in it, there's, there's um, I don't know, gangs or whatever of different races anywhere and or different youths and mm. the crime will be to those people, whether it's Asian, black, whoever, like Turkish, exactly. whatever. Like, it's going to be those people. So the whole like media portrayal, you know, of like kind of, it's a black, black issue specifically. Yeah. yeah. And then it ties back to like racism as well. Once again, perception of mm. race. Although they're just going to kill each other anyway. Like, mm. let's just, you know, we don't need to help them. And then when police brutality happens, you see like it ties back in again. It's like, oh, police are killing them, but they kill each other anyway. And like, mm. that's what some people actually say. And a lot of black people even say that. Yeah. Like adults as well. Like I just saw a tweet now of a footballer, an ex-black footballer who just said that. It's like, oh, but you can't talk about police brutality if there's black-on-black crime. And I'm just thinking, how many times are we going to have to go through? There is The concept itself doesn't make sense because there is no white-on-white crime. It's just crime. If so, you um, yeah, yeah. stats, just to quickly interject, that the, um, the stats actually say that uh, the most crimes committed against white people are also by white people. So exactly, it's yeah. very important that you pointed that out because I think it's a, it's a case of crime by proximity. You exactly. commit crime towards people that you are around. And if you're mm-hmm. in a pri- primarily, you know, uh, ethnic minority neighborhoods, such as the one that we all grew up in, it's going to be minorities attacking minorities because, you know, the crime exactly. is there. If you're a victim of it, you know, <laughs> you'll be a victim in my close proximity. I'm not going to stab someone in uh, France from England, am I? I'm, I don't have a knife that long, so... And as you pointed out, um, you know, even something as basic as opening up a football pitch that is free to use uh, could give, uh, you know, you something to do. But even simple steps like that haven't been taken. And a lot of us know people who, you know, when you ask them, why did you first start doing the things that you did, um, which, you know, eventually got you into trouble? They all say, well, there was nothing else to do. Exactly. Yeah. To I wanted to, to jump onto that. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, like, to do. yeah, I mean, like, like you said, we, we grew up at the same areas and I've had these conversations with these people, you know, they're mm-hmm. now in bad situations, whatever. And even as a kid, I, I remember it very clearly. It's like, you know, you get involved because you have nothing. <laughs> There's literally nothing positive around you. Yeah. And so what you perceive as positive is, you, you know, when people are like showboating, you, there's some kind of power being uh, shown around. and Exactly then it's easy to get into. And then when I, when I go through uni, uh, thank God, like, luckily I was able to escape and you know I mean? see the outside world. And I literally see it as an escape because beforehand I had no, do you know what I mean? Like you have no idea that this other world existed and you see how people lived, uh, other people live and the kind of experience they're able to get. You ask yourself, mm. like we're, we're literally, that those, these areas are stuck in a tunnel. Uh, there's, you know, there's no perception of what could be. Uh, there's no, like, for example, there's no experience uh, given to us to, to show us oh this is what could be done this is what you could do um, 
like you said, like the football pitch things. I mean, like ha, numerous football pitches were closed around my areas. Where you're stuck now, you're stuck on the streets. Do you know what I mean? You're playing football yeah. on the streets, but you know what? You're going to meet some dodgy people as well. I mean, there's, mm. you're going to meet adults, literally, that will try to, for me, I classify as grooming when they, uh, you know, mm. indoctrinate kids into, into gang life, etc. Yeah. I mean, it's a good point that you just said, if you don't have a football pitch, you shut down a football pitch, you're a child. You don't have money. You grow up in a poor area. I mean, I'll speak for myself. I never had pocket money. My pocket money was a foreign concept to me. I, I wasn't just given money and said, oh, yeah, go out there and spend it. So we weren't in that sort of economic situation so that I could do that sort of thing. So let's say there's a free-to-play football pitch for you. They shut it down. What do you now you do, do as a child with so no money? Me. You need mm. to get money then because, you know, the joke is in London, they, they tax you to breathe. So how do I get money? And as Steve said, there's a lot of people within our communities who will go up to young impressionable children, flash a, a watch, flash a car, flash something and say, look, I've got this money. You don't have anything to do. You don't have the money to do anything. Come with me and, you know, I'll sort you out. Here's a, here's a fiver. Here's, here's 10 quid. Here's 20 quid. And it's a form of grooming, really. That needs to mm. be tackled. Here's a joke. They've invested in the child's future, yet their government has not. <laughs> in a sense, they've invested yeah, yeah. in their future. That's the, cra- that's the craziest thing. Yeah, that's the craziest thing. But I wanted and, to also mention... Um, yeah. oh, sorry. Go on, Tony. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to mention that, like, even if you, like, go into the whole idea of, like, I think when you, Steve, said that, um, you know, they're young and impressionable and then they see kind of people in the area that might have cars and this and that. It go it sort of ties back to like capitalism and it ties back to what we believe as a as a child is success and what we believe is power. It's like the idea of success is this kind of big house car and whatever wealth and this and that. And if you're coming from an environment where you're clearly not around any of that Mm-hmm. And to make it worse inside your household, it might be quite wild as well or quite, you know, yeah. negative. Then it's like you just want to reach the other side as quick as possible. Exactly. So you could be bloody 12. There's kids as young as 11, 12 get involved in stuff. They're just trying to get away from this, like whatever this is. Mm-hmm. And they, when they see a guy rolling down the street with this car or whatever, then they're just trying to make money as quick as possible or get involved, whatever. And then that leads to like someone who started off wanting to make money and then it leads to, oh, but you know what? Why don't you do this for me though? Why don't you, you know, that that guy's my enemy. Why don't you do this for me? And there's, in fact, there's a film called Before I Self-Destruct. It was from a 50 Cent um, um, album. He made like a film version of it. And in the film, 50 is like an innocent kid who just wants to like, um, you know, do his education thing or he's working in like a supermarket. He has a younger brother who's really smart and he's doing well in school. His mum, I think, gets murdered and uh, he's basically approached by an older gangster in the area. He says, you know what, if you shoot this guy or whatever, I'll pay you this amount of money. Before you know it, this guy's literally like earning wild amounts of money, literally from putting hits on people, like hitting people down. So it can literally just start off from like, you're in a tough situation. It's chaotic, and then you're just finding the quickest way out. Yeah, yeah. And the go- there's no government hands to pull you. There's no, there's nothing. You know, there's nothing there. You're yeah. just clutch, clutch, clutching onto anything you can. So, yeah, it's really. I don't know what it would take for it to change, but I guess the government or police, 
um, politics and all of that side of it can't make a difference, then I don't know. Yeah, really. I think um, yeah. I think what, like what you just described is eerie. How although that is, uh, you know, some people might dismiss it and say, "Oh, it's just a fifty cent movie." It's eerie how actually accurate that is to real life in many cases. Literally, yeah. it's, it's children who are disadvantaged who are then taken into this kind of world, which offers them a way out of the situation that they're in. And I mean, mm. I just brought up a simple stop and search statistic and look at the conversation we've had since, exactly, since that yeah. was brought up. But, you know, somebody who has been designated as, you know, journalists who are supposed to give us information will completely gloss over all of these individual facts and they'll just be like, oh, it's because they're black. Oh, it's because they're, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, they're exactly. coming over here, they're stealing our jobs, they're taking our benefits, that's it. I mean, mm. that is the rhetoric that is passed down. And, you mm. know, bear in mind, London, yes, is a very multicultural sea, but generally speaking, this country as a whole yeah, is still majority white. And there's yeah, a lot of areas the where they've never even interacted with a minority yeah. in their life. People mm. wouldn't even realize that. Where are you getting this from? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really... And if you do like your, your history, if you look into these areas historically, it's generational. It's not, it's not like, you know, I mean, uh, I can speak for me and Aaron and Tony, like we're like the new generation, right, coming in first gen. But even before that, like it wasn't, it wasn't, an, you know, it wasn't heaven beforehand. And you, you can trace it back with the older geezers and, you know, you, you talk to them and they have like similar stories. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's really the situation that these are areas are in. Yes, the demographics will change over time, but yet the issues, they continue. Yeah. Also, I just wanted to quickly bring up, because um, I wanted to mention... Stephen Lawrence and I want to tie into this as well because I wanted to to mention like the whole you know it's it's ironic because that incident happened I think was it 1993 yeah I think it was 93 yeah so like to tie it all in it's like you know there's a criminal criminalization of kind of black blackness in a way and like black men and like the whole stop and search targeted there but the funny thing is um even when you look into America, a lot of these kind of groups which formed originally, whether it was gangs or whatever, it was for protection. You know what I mean? So it was for people to protect their community. Then they may have infiltrated and had issues then turned into that. That's obviously another longer story. But to go back to Stephen Lawrence, it's like there is a criminalization of the blackness and demonizing. But the, this man, this boy actually, this child at the time, I think it was like 18 or 19 or still very young. Like he got attacked and knifed by a group of racist white youths. Like, and they were literally like a known gang in the area. They were literally known in the area as terrorizing, particularly black people and threatening them and attacking them. And he was attacked and they did use the N word. Like that was confirmed. So it was definitely racially motivated. So it's like, there's this idea of, it's ironic in a way. It's like when you, people came here via the Windrush and other groups of people, other ethnic minorities, Asian and stuff. They were literally, people were trying to just live their life. But then you have like the no blacks, no Irish, no dogs. You have, you know, different groups who terrorized ethnic minorities. And then it flips all of a sudden and it's just like, all of a sudden racism disappeared and now you guys are the bad guys and like you're trying to terrorize everyone with knives. Work, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just like it's really that's why I feel like media, genuinely mainstream media to me is just like I'm one of the people just like, yeah, you can have that, like, put that yeah. there. Yeah. because it's like there's just agenda upon agenda, 
you know what I mean? And it's just, yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I think uh, especially what you said about Windrush Generation and how we, if we bring it back to, um, you know, what happened with George Floyd and we asked if that sort of thing happened here, you know, or is racism here similar to America? I mean, Windrush Generation is a violation, in my opinion, of uh, human rights. You've allowed mm. people to come over some 50, 60 years ago. Some of them were, you know, infants when they came here. You've asked them to rebuild your nation for you. They've done that. <laughs> and then you send them back to their deaths in many cases to a country that most of them have were never lived in. And you say to them, don't act too British. They don't know any other existence. They've been British their whole life. Exactly. Now you send them over there, they're in danger. And, you know, okay, yes, there was, uh, you know, major, major uh, protests and whatnot for the Windrush generation. But in reality, what actually happened? Were the people who brought the policies that caused that actually brought to justice they weren't so we can say all that we want that oh the police are scared of us they would never do that over here mark duggan's killer the, the police officer was acquitted stephen lawrence's killers were never fully brought to justice some people were arrested we don't even know who was involved again uh, you know during that case was i think the first time that they called the police force institutionally racist mm -hmm. and you know when you look at all these examples you're thinking Justice hasn't actually been served in the UK with many major incidents such as, such as the ones that we've just mentioned. So, you know, mm. yes, it might not be a shoot you in the face kind of racism, but unfortunately mm. we have it here and it's not, it's not ever punished. But yes, Tony? Yeah, um, actually, I think with the Stephen Lawrence one, I think they did actually end up being, um, they actually yeah, I remember some sort of yeah, were charged. I remember yeah, but it was, it was years and years later, though. It was literally... Because I watched the documentary a couple of days ago. I think it was like 2010 or something. Like it, was, oh, wow. it was really, it was really, literally, like literally, that whole situation was so terrible because yeah. it started off literally where the police were literally were not interested. Like they'd just shown no interest. And the mm -hmm. family had to fight all along. In the beginning, because Stephen was with a friend of his and that friend basically was so traumatised he could barely even like, it was such a traumatic situation where he could barely even like point out who the people were mm -hmm. and give an actual, like give his perspective on what happened. So those people were basically living life as if nothing happened for damn near 20 years. And then finally, yeah. I think it was due to evidence of like blood or something. They found done, I'm not sure how it goes, but that's on, that's on the scientific side, but like the whole yeah. kind of blood and, you know, yeah, they figured yeah, it out. It was these, yeah, the, it was the, the two guys. So those two guys were just living like nothing happened. Um, they were they pretty were much, yeah, they, they were pretty old. much, and um, yeah, and there was pretty much video evidence as well that ad added it because there was a point where the police said, okay, we're going to try to do something real now. And they put kind of cameras and infiltrated it into their house and stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, they found them talking a lot of racist, racist talk, found them giving examples of knives and how to stab someone. And they found all of that. So in the end, it's like it was undeniable and they tried to deny it the whole time. They were quite, they had no remorse pretty much the whole time. And I think mm -hmm. apparently what I read recently is that they both serving like 14 to 15 year sentence, sentences right now. So, yeah, but that's just once again, an example of the injustice. It's like the police not really doing their job all those years. And I think Stephen Lawrence's parents, their marriage broke down, unfortunately might have been a byproduct of the stress caused. 
because yeah. of that. It's like all sorts of situations and lives yeah. ruined. The, yeah. the the Mark Duggan one, to be honest, still bothers me to this day because it was classified as a lawful killing, and you know, mm. it's a real that situ- It's a real sticky one as well because there's evidence from like a video camera that there was a parent gun that they that police planted in the field next to it and this is Tottenham Hale so like if you're familiar with there the bridge there's like a bridge area and then on the other side next to near Ferry Lane Estate is like a field I think so someone was definitely there's video evidence somebody in the police because there was many of them there was tampering with something and put something there mm-hmm. so this whole idea of you know him somehow taking the gun and throwing it out of his pocket to me it still doesn't make sense but they tried to make it make sense and then the police who were involved all their identities been protected the whole time we still don't know who the hell those policemen were yeah. none of them none of them were clear one person saying the, um, the gun he took it out other person saying it's just all sorts of stuff yeah, all these question marks all these yeah. question marks don't do it justice you know yeah. it just adds to the to the evidence of you know how racism exactly. is still alive in this country i mean we can argue you know people can argue about facts whatever but the fact that we're asking these questions and there's still you know uncertainty on this topic when it's the, the police know what's going on um yeah so it's sad, really yeah. showing that was bloody brilliant thought of the week tony is a uh, as i mentioned at the start tony's a writer he, he has some brilliant poems and uh, pieces that he has uh, written. Um, you, do you want to plug your, your Instagram at? I think oh, yeah, my Instagram is at Words by Tones. I just basically like post, um, well, in the past I posted like a lot of poems and stuff. Um, recently I posted like a kind of an article that I wrote um, of the rapper Nipsey Hussle and his like legacy because um, that was like to me with quite a big loss someone who was a rapper and was also trying to, pretty much an activist as well, like trying to make a big difference in um, the community in LA. And knowing what's going on now, he would have been like a big voice for sure in the movement that's going on now. Mm. So yeah, yeah, that can check that account if you want to like see my work then and whatnot. Yeah, we'll put it in the comment sections and in the description. Do you have anything to perform, Tony? Or anything? Oh yeah, any oh, yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah, basically I have like a... Um, it's kind of like a poem called, I kind of named it, um, can't tell the difference. It's basically gonna, it's basically my per- per- perception of the African-American experience from like slavery to now. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, how it's kind of shifted, but it's still oppression. From townships and villages in the motherland to tenements and projects of America. Kingdoms and empires often not recognized by history books to the land of great America. They say you sold your own people. So don't blame us for making you slaves. From prisoners of war to a foreign plantation. Kept for years as chattel and abused. Broken, beaten and mishandled. A mother couldn't nurture her child. A father couldn't protect and provide for his family. Shambles. And then they say you're liberated. Only to be locked in another world of profit-based capitalistic engagement. They may not hire you though. 
So you might get caught in a cycle of unemployment. And they still slaughter you like animals, from lynchings to police killings, or police killings slash lynchings. It's 2020 now, and we still can't tell the difference. Hats off to you, Tony. You're, you have a way of like encapsulating the topic perfectly. I mean, Thanks, that's that's from yeah, that was from the beginning to the end. And yeah, thank you very much for performing and coming on to the Verbal Reasoning podcast. Oh, th- thanks for like putting me on here because I can't like when I um when I found out you guys had a podcast, I probably listened to like obviously the first couple ones and I knew it was going to be like mad interesting because I remember the conversations we used to have in like <laughs> yeah. and whatever yeah. and like com- common room and whatever. So yeah, yeah, and thanks for having me on here. Like yeah, it's been great. Definitely, we'll be again showing your yeah. face again in the future. And uh, thanks Definitely. for the listener listeners, and don't forget to subscribe and uh, like like and follow us and did tell us what you think of uh, of uh, tony's poems um at, on our twitter at podcast uh, reasoning i believe it is well we'll put it in the comment section uh let us podcast know verbal, we'll, podcast nice verbal you know sorry it. sorry <laughs> <laughs> very professional and uh, yeah we'll, we'll address it at the start of next show uh, thank you very much that was bloody brilliant